Hello, and welcome to the preview of the new podcast, Eight for Five. I'm your host, Jill Monroe, and if you're like me, your watch gives you a little buzz once an hour to tell you to stand and move around for a few minutes. I'm here to give you something to listen to during those breaks every weekday, Eight for Five. This preview episode will be an abbreviated version, only three for five, but I'm inviting you to subscribe where you listen to your favorite podcast so we can get moving together. Each five-minute segment is devoted to a different topic. Segment one is usually a what's up specifically to that date. Segment two is your word challenge, where you try to slip in specific words into your conversation throughout the day. And yes, there are points involved for the more competitive of you out there. This music lets you know when your five has ended. There will be a few seconds of dead air between the end of one segment and the beginning of another, so you'll know when to hit pause, and it's as easy as that. All right, grab your earphones and let's go. Today's segment one is about 2019. We have some interesting things to look forward to in the last few months of the 19th year of the third millennium. It's the year of the pig, according to the Chinese calendar. In November, we'll be able to spot the planet Mercury looking like a dark dot moving across the sun. And published works from 1923 will enter the public domain, including a poem I had to memorize in junior high, "Stopping by the Woods on a Snowy Evening" by Robert Frost. Casablanca won the Oscar for Best Picture 75 years ago, and 50 years ago, humans first walked on the moon, and Sesame Street hit the airwaves. 2019 is also the year of the periodic table of chemical elements, as designated by the UN General Assembly, marking the 150th anniversary of its discovery by Dmitri Mendeleev. How many of the element symbols did you have to memorize? A skill I never used again until Breaking Bad came on TV. I remember trying to write my name with the symbols, but there's no J or L, so that was a bust. I did have iodine, however. Most of the abbreviations for the elements make sense. Carbon is a C, O is for oxygen, and then you have an A for sodium. And your teacher told you that was because of Latin, so you went with that. But did you know there's an 80-year-old joke hiding in plain sight within the table? It's right there, element number 94, PU. PU is the symbol for plutonium, and I'll save you the trouble of looking. It's not because PL was already taken. So why give it such a stinky abbreviation? Is it because it smells? Plutonium is a metal, so I expect if it does smell, it smells metallic. But as it's radioactive, you don't want to smell it. According to Robert Krolwich, writing for National Geographic Online, Glenn Seaborg, the discoverer of plutonium, thought it would be fun to name it PU. The official naming committee didn't object, so plutonium officially became PU. I've linked to Robert Krolwich's full article in the show notes. The United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization has set up a lovely website devoted to the periodic table at iypt2019.org. Don't worry, I'll have that in the show notes. There, you can find activities and events as well as fun things like haikus and artwork devoted to the periodic table, including a mosaic of Mendeleev and a giant crocheted reproduction of the table. You can also read about the incredible work of Marie Curie and others. All of this made me wonder if the periodic table is only 150 years old. What came before that? I found a wonderful three-part series on PBS called "The Mystery of Matter: Search for the Elements," and that's where I learned about the theory of phlogiston. Previously, scientists believed that there was an element like fire that caused matter to change. Metal begins to rust, phlogiston. Paper crumbles and turns to ash, phlogiston. 
While this is a pretty simplified version of the hypothesis, the thing I find most interesting about the ideas behind this theory is that people held on to their beliefs about phlogiston, even though little by little throughout the years, scientists have been chipping away at its validity. Of course, everyone saw the error of their ways and let it go, fully embracing this newfangled oxygen theory of combustion. Of course, that's not what happened. Phlogiston believers doubled down, reworking and rewriting their theories to fit with the new experiments, even though it added twists and turns and defied logic. I read somewhere it's part of the human condition to believe the first fact we hear on a subject. For instance, how many of you have heard we lose most of our body heat through our head? I know I have. I've even told my kids that, and they'll probably tell theirs. Except I learned today that it's not true. I can tell there's a deeper meaning lurking in this. You and I have reached the end of our first five. A little while ago, my watch began encouraging me to stand and move around throughout the day. I'm not going to let my watch boss me around without knowing why. So I did my favorite thing, which is mess around on the internet and go down rabbit holes. All of this quickly led me to a bunch of research articles. So disclaimer time, I'm not a doctor. I have zero training in the medical field and feel strongly that medical advice should be taken from trusted medical professionals. But I do know how to type things into a search engine. So here's what I learned. According to an article from Harvard Health Publishing, the longer you sit during the day could be hazardous to your health and not just stiff joints and back pain, which are certainly miserable. But long bouts of sitting raises your risk for diabetes, heart disease, and inches you closer to an early death. And do you want to know what's really irritating? According to WebMD, sitting for seven hours at a time can actually undo the benefits from your regular workouts. As a writer, I spend the majority of my time in front of a computer screen typing away. And if I'm on deadline, all night too. I was shocked when my watch informed me that I can go from eight in the morning to five in the evening and barely break 3,000 steps. And even though I can spend the rest of the day working out and earning 7,000 more steps while listening to my favorite podcast, I'm still not getting the full benefit on my 10,000-step goal. According to Dr. Keith Diaz of Columbia University, short bursts of movement more often throughout your day is what helps. So I went looking around for a podcast that would keep me entertained while I tried to break up my long hours of sitting. When I couldn't find exactly what I wanted, it made me wonder, were there others looking for the same thing I was? And that's how 8 for 5, the podcast, was born. I'm so excited to be creating this project, and I hope it gets you up and moving. Together, let's close some rings. But first, like my VCR workout tapes from the 90s always stated, before you begin any new physical activity, consult your doctor. I'll have links to all three of these articles that I mentioned in my show notes. So, a word challenge will always be the second segment, so you'll have plenty of time to get your points. In honor of the periodic table, periodic will be your first word. Now, don't worry, I'll have the definition and the words listed in the show notes, so you don't have to stop walking to write anything down or try to remember. Periodic means something that recurs in a period of time. According to Merriam-Webster.com, the first time we know of this word's use is 1650. One thing I found kind of interesting, when you visit Merriam-Webster.com, they have the popularity rating of the word. Periodic is in the bottom 50, and I kind of feel sorry for that word. Been there periodic. This word will be worth five points. Elemental is your second word. Elemental means pertaining to an element, so of course, but also can mean simple or fundamental. And I think we've all heard Sherlock Holmes tell Mr. Watson that something was elemental. That word will be worth 10 points. Here is your standardized test word. These are words you love to hate and have to sort of know. 
since there's a bit of a science theme with this preview episode, I went for the word compressibility. Honestly, I didn't even know this was a word, and now I can't wait to use it, and I'm going to have to be really creative to get this word in. Basically, compressibility is the amount of pressure to reduce matter's volume. So, how hard you have to smash something to make it get smaller. This word will be worth 25 points. The last word is what I like to call the standing on your head challenge word. Primarily because I have as much chance of working this word into a sentence as I do of standing on my head. The standing on your head challenge word today is pangram. Pangram is a sentence that uses every single letter of the language. So whenever you see the sentence, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog, you'll now know why that sentence was created. It's a pangram. If you get this word into a sentence today, not only do you win the standing on your head challenge for this episode, but you receive 250 points. Bonus, if you can get all three parts of the atom worked into a sentence. Just as a reminder, the three parts of an atom are the neutron, proton, and electron. And you have to use all three, and if you accomplish this, you get 50 points. Since this is my first episode, we're going to do two bonuses. And this second bonus will be a challenge worth 100 points. The word is epitome and means ideal or a really good example. But when you use it, you have to mispronounce it to get your full points. No halvesies on using it correctly. This is your chance to really get to know the people you work around during the day. Will they correct you? Will they look away in secondhand embarrassment, bite their lip and move on? Now, you can mispronounce it any way you want, but my suggestion is epitome. Have fun and good luck. You can share your point totals with me where I hang out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I'll have all that information in my show notes. Did you ever collect rocks? Did you know there's a rock collection out there that's considered priceless? This group of rocks also basically belongs to all of us, you and me, and people keep trying to steal them. And I'll tell you about that in the next five. In 1983, the Toronto Star asked science fiction author Isaac Asimov what he thought 2019 would look like. While he hit on the advances and importance of computers in our lives, he missed in his prediction that humans all over the globe would be on the moon mining it for metals. So, we may not be mining for metals, but that doesn't mean someone isn't getting rich off moon rocks. In fact, people started working that angle as early as 1969, when according to an article from the Fort Scott Tribune, a woman in Florida was offered a moon rock from a door-to-door salesman. But if you ask me, five bucks for a rock not of this earth is a bargain. How could you turn that down? Putting my search engine skills to work again, I saw that a single gram of moon dust can fetch as much as $300,000. That can be a lot of temptation. And when you pair love and love of money together, you get the biggest heist in NASA history. I do love a good mystery, especially if it's goofy, and this one has it all, including a Belgium connection, engineering ingenuity, the threat of running out of air, and messages from a man named Orb. Let's make their problem your problem. You're an engineering intern at NASA. You need some cash and hope to impress another intern. Your solution? Steal some moon rocks. Engineers are taught to be problem solvers, so they kept it simple with an old-fashioned breaking and entering at the Houston headquarters. Since they already had access to their own keycards and email passwords, their first problem was solved. Second hurdle, they had to fool the many security cameras and any personnel who might be monitoring them. For those of you who have watched the movie Speed, you have a rough idea of how they handled that problem. 
The third hitch was that they would need to be able to breathe. Yes, being able to breathe is an important part of the story, not for just the obvious reasons. It's because moon rocks are stashed in an area without oxygen, so they won't disintegrate. Now, just two key codes were between the interns and the moon rocks. Using their engineering skills, they concocted something that looked like talcum powder, and they sprinkled it on the panel and then shouldered their way past the door. They're in the office now, but the rocks are kept in a safe, and it came with another code. Their oxygen is running out, so it's smash and grab time. The interns unbolted the safe and rolled all 600 pounds of it through the building on a dolly into their vehicle. They'd done it. Now, what the interns did after might be a little too titillating for where I want to go with this podcast. But don't worry, Carmel Hagen's article goes into a bit more detail, and I'll have a link to that in my show notes. It turns out selling black market moon rocks isn't all that easy. And if for some reason someone checks my search history, I'm not really trying to sell illegal moon dust. It's all for my writing. So, how did they get caught? Well, here's where the guy named Orb entered the story. Using the name Orb Robinson, the interns tried to sell the rocks to a mineralogist in Belgium. I've mentioned before that I'm a writer, so I have to name characters all the time. And speaking on a purely fiction writer scent and not an advice on how to commit a crime, Orb is a name that stands out. Long story short, our Belgian mineralogist contacted the authorities, the FBI got involved, and everyone was arrested. In 1970, President Nixon gave commemorative moon rocks collected during Apollo 11 to 135 countries in all 50 states. Moon rocks were also given to researchers and scientists all over the world. Even more moon rocks were given away in 1973 from Apollo 17. These were called goodwill rocks, and it's believed about 180 of them are missing. And that's where the moon rock hunters come in. But that's a story for another episode. As a writer, I like everyone to read. And from time to time, I'll be giving away books to one randomly selected person who listens to the podcast. I'm thrilled to be giving away three books from USA Today bestselling author Catherine Garbera and her Space Cowboy series, which includes No Limits, Pushing the Limits, and Beyond the Limits. I love the taglines for these. Some cowboys are out of this world. Houston, we have a hot astronaut problem. And this mission is out of control. Training for space is only part of the fun. Catherine posts so many fun pictures on Instagram, and I'll have a link to her website and more about her books in my show notes. You'll have a chance to win by signing up for my newsletter. One randomly selected subscriber will soon be enjoying Catherine Garbera's Space Cowboy series. Details on how to sign up will be in my show notes. Thank you, Catherine. I hope you enjoyed this preview of 8 for 5. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, my website, and your favorite podcast app. Links to my newsletter and social media and all the articles I mentioned are in the show notes. You can find more by visiting the website 8for5.com, spelled 8-E-I-G-H-T, 4-F-O-R, 5-F-I-V-E, 8for5.com. And remember, don't steal moon rocks. It's the epitome of poor decision making. I hope you have a great rest of your day. (laughs) 